0: Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. everybody, and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon Hey, hey. And finally, back from the beach is our producer, Colin Moore. Hello. So, again, sorry for uh, the confusion on the last episode. Um, I'm not. I take full responsibility. Uh, but we're here now with uh, something a little a little more relaxed. A little more... Pina coladas. A little more pina coladas. No. Um little more uh seltzers for some of us oh
1: god that's what he's drinking
0: it is it looks like milk but mm-hmm. icy milk gross that's some messed up shit if you drink iced milk like i'm not gonna trust you ever well here's the thing is like back in the day like you had to drink iced milk if you wanted cold milk you had to
1: no, you put it in the freezer ice. box
0: why couldn't you just well, if like? You ha- put I'm it... talking in the old, old days. There was no
2: freezer box. Why wouldn't you just put the milk in the ice instead of the ice in the milk? Look, Amon, you've said the like, same cut thing. Cut a hole in the ice and like just stick a bottle of milk down there. No,
1: no, no, no. no. I'm not oh, saying you put you the milk. You mean like directly. a big block of ice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you just like, put the, put the put bottle in of a milk. Cooler. On.
2: Like putting it in a an freezer. ice
1: box. That's how that's how ice box worked. You got ice delivered. It was a big block of ice delivered every day. That's how refrigerators worked for a while.
2: And then you just put your cold stuff in there with the ice. Right.
1: Yes. That is how that works for a long time.
0: Michael. So this week we're talking about the history <laughs> of the freezer. Um, no. This week, uh, due to due to a request, we're actually going to do another. I'm really glad you did. Um, just, uh, you know, just to try, try to. Hey, stop fucking looking away from your mic while you're talking. Just to try to <laughs> lighten the mood. A little production, production insider tip. So Kamen and I have each prepared a topic. Uh, you know, you know the drill. We both have a topic. Uh, our topics are completely unrelated to each other's. In fact, I don't know what Cayman's is. I did tell Cayman what mine is, so he knows. But um, yeah, we're just gonna present two things that we're really appreciative of, and kind of, kind of in the same style of our. Really wish I had an episodes. Instead of a downer, it's gonna be an upper. Yeah, because you know you gotta mix the uppers with the downers. That's how you party. Right. Don't I want mean, too much of either.
1: I do love Jaeger Bombs. Who
0: doesn't? Oh. Jaeger Bombs are delicious. Alright, do you wanna go first or do you want me to?
2: Um I feel like mine lends itself better to being last.
0: Okay. Does, does that be, so you go first. You go, you go. That's it. fine. Alright, I got it. Okay, so For my topic, I chose Gabe Newell, uh, the founder of Valve Software. If you don't know who they are, they created a lot of great games, and I'll kind of go into it throughout the the story. Oh, yeah? Name one. Uh, They made Mario, I'm pretty sure. Okay, that one's pretty good. No, they didn't make Mario. No, okay, so yeah, they made, like... they made games like Half-Life, Portal, Team Fortress, Counter-Strike, Dota. Never heard of them. Left for Dead, you know, they, they've made a <laughs> lot of games. They also created Steam, but that's all going to come up in the episode.
1: You left out Ricochet?
0: You're leaving out Ricochet? Ricochet. Ricochet. <laughs> greatest game of all time. No.
1: No, for all real, right. those are really good
0: games. So, um... The story of Gabe Newell starts as many great stories do, with him attending Harvard. Now, I know that that's a little boring compared to how I'd normally start one of these, but I really couldn't find a single shred of information about Gabe Newell before his time at Harvard, which leads me to believe that he was hatched from an egg in some kind of Harvard medical lab experiment. So after three years of studying at Harvard, newell's brother got a job at a tech startup in seattle washington gabe decided to fly out to visit his brother and to see seattle but when he got there his brother was so busy working that gabe just kind of had to hang around the office and you know talk to people and steve balmer the president of the company got mad and told gabe newell if you're going to be spending all your time hanging around here you need to do something useful so he offered Gabe a job and Gabe dropped out of Harvard and took a job with his brother at a small startup called Microsoft. Oh, You may remember the name Steve Ballmer from our BlackBerry episode. He was the guy who laughed in a reporter's face and said that there was zero market for the iPhone.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: good. Well, yeah. I mean, you do one bad thing. You do one good thing. Yeah, Steve you Newell's know, I mean, pretty big. Steve Newell. No, I messed that up. Gabe. Oh, now I can't unthank Steve Newell.
0: Gabe Newell. Steve Ballmer and Gabe Newell. Gaben. Gaben. Gaben, as he's known. Right. So when a reporter asked him years later about his decision to drop out of Harvard, Gabe Newell said, quote, I learned more in three months with those guys at Microsoft than I did the entire time I was at Harvard. In Harvard, I learned how to drink beer while doing a handstand in the snow, which you know is a useful skill, but not nearly as useful as how to actually develop software. In Dude, court. I'd pay so much money to see Gabe Newell doing a handstand. Yeah, and <laughs> drinking beer, and drinking beer, and drinking beer. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like that's to do. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. But I I fundamentally disagree with that statement. I think I think the first skill is way more important than the second. But hey. Priorities. Well, you have to be able to handle the stress of learning the second skill. Exactly. I, I don't think he would have been as good at the software without knowing for it's like uh, the Mr. Miyagi, right? You think you're right. learning how to wax a car. What you're really learning is karate. Right, right. Very important. <laughs> Sweep the leg. No kick to the if done properly. No can defend. I don't know that I can say that. <laughs> um, well, also, bonus strategy, if you're on your hands
2: doing a handstand while you're drinking your beer, no one can sweep your legs. It's a good point.
0: Can't be done. <laughs> so anyway, this started Gabe's 13 years of experience with Microsoft. While he was there, he did work for Windows version one. Like he was on the ground floor of Windows. And so... Microsoft had been known for their DOS operating system for a while but Windows was when they really like tried to get into a fundamental UI that anyone could use right they did a good job Gabe Newell was also a major developer for Windows NT which stood for new technology And this was when Windows stopped looking like a mainframe wearing lipstick and actually started to look like what we think of today as an operating system. And honestly, it looked more like the old Macintosh operating system than modern day Windows. But, you know, it took a couple iterations to get there. But there was one project that he worked on that I really think sealed the deal for his future. You may have heard of a little game called Doom developed by id Software. It was arguably the first smash hit computer game, and the first few levels of the game were distributed as shareware, which, as we talked about in our McAfee episode, meant that it was free to distribute through floppy disks and internet message boards, and so it got hugely popular. Like some numbers put it at 20 million downloads and like plays, like which for this time to have that many compute like there's not that many computers. Doom also happens to be one of Gabe Newell's favorite games of all time. The issue was that Doom was designed for MS-DOS, which, as we just said, was the predecessor to the new Windows operating system, and work was going to need to be done if they wanted to get it working on Windows. Well, Gabe Newell called the founder of id and told him that Microsoft would do the Windows port of Doom for free. Now, I don't know if that was because Microsoft wanted to make sure the game was on their Windows operating system because they knew how popular it was and they wanted to make sure that people were able to play it or just because Newell loved the game so much and wanted to be able to play it on his work computer. And it's theorized that this one project sealed the fate of Windows to be the de facto gaming platform when it came to PC. Wait,
2: can I ask what year this was? Uh, 93.
0: Okay, so...
2: There is a strange reality where if Gabe Newell had not existed, Columbine might never have happened.
0: Don't, don't do this. I know exactly <laughs> where you're headed. You're, you're going to do the, the Bill Gates in the trench coat with the shotgun thing? No. I was just going to do because then the Klebolds wouldn't have it on Windows. Oh. oh Well, have you seen the Bill Gates in a trench coat with a shotgun? No. Uh, it was a commercial. For uh for Doom on Windows and it's Bill Gates like basically looking like one of the kids from Columbine. It came <laughs> out like a year before. Yeah, it was bad. They pulled the commercial pretty quickly. Oh, I want to look that up. But we can move on. But that wasn't the only connection between Newell and ID software. One of Newell's co workers at Microsoft, Michael Abrash, left Microsoft to work on ID's next game, Quake. So, inspired by Michael Abrash's move to the world of video games and riding the high of porting Doom, Newell left Microsoft along with his coworker Mike Harrington to form Valve Software. And luckily for them, it was known at this time people leaving Microsoft were loaded. They were there was the term Microsoft millionaires. Basically, anybody who got in on the ground floor. Um, and Newell was, I think, like 257 something like that uh, of Microsoft's employees. So he was pretty close to the ground floor. But see, can that happen anymore? Like with companies, I don't feel like it does. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I I know someone who knows someone who got in on the ground floor of Uber, and she is set. Like she is. She, so what is it? Do they just pay you with stock, and that's how that happens? Yeah, pretty much. Like a start. Yeah, a startup generally doesn't have the capital. You don't get a whole lot of money working at a startup, but you get. Yeah, you know, you, you work for a company that you believe in. You know, yeah, you get you get the stock options. And, you know, if they take off like Uber did, I mean, you're you're set like Microsoft did. Yeah. So founding Valve, Valve Software was not a big financial burden on these guys. Um, and weirdly, they founded Valve on Gabe's wedding day. I don't know how that worked, because I feel like that kind of detracts from both events, you know?
2: All right, when I get married, you bring your best ideas. I'll bring my best ideas. Mm -hmm. That's when we start a company.
0: Well, I tell you what, it ended up working for his wife because very recently they got divorced and she walked out with like a billion dollars. (laughs) So, yeah. Just a cool billion. Just a cool billion with a B.
2: Working out in in big quotation marks there.
0: (laughs) So Valve's first big project was a game called Half-Life a first-person shooter with a mix of science fiction and horror elements. They used their connections at id Software to get access to the Quake engine, which they modified into their own creation. Half-Life was released to critical acclaim and is widely regarded as a masterpiece that ushered in a new era of first-person shooters. And from there, Valve became a powerhouse of the gaming world. They made Lightning Strike twice with Half-Life 2, which revolutionized the technology of game physics, and they began doing something that no one had ever done before. Crowbars. Yes. (laughs) No. People were creating new games by modifying Half-Life, which was pretty common at the time. But the weird part was Valve was hiring the teams behind the mods and releasing those mods as full games. And this was done with games like Team Fortress, Counter-Strike, and Portal, which were some of their biggest games, even to this day.
2: Oh, yeah. So, they really made, like, one game, and it got huge. I mean, Left 4 Dead was also... And Dota!
1: Dota is a little bit of a different story, but...
2: Yeah. I thought Left 4 Dead... I thought Left 4 Dead was a, uh... I don't think it was a mod. Like, originally started as a mod. Or, the idea came from a mod. Maybe it did, I don't know. Uh, Maybe, uh, I could
0: be wrong. We'll have to look it up later and see who's right. <clears throat> and Dota was a mod for a different game yeah, that they, that they bought, bought and then remade into a quote-unquote sequel and called it Dota 2. But yeah, so so Valve was big on taking stuff that, that the community was making and monetizing it but not just like stealing it right they were hiring those teams in and sharing the sharing the wealth i guess yeah they're sharing the love man that's awesome love baby
1: it's what it's all about yeah i mean they still do that underlords dota underlords was a mod for dota it was a custom game for dota yeah it was a mod for dota that's right yeah i mean they just i mean to this day they're still doing it it's crazy yeah that's great dude why like make stuff
0: that. when you could just let everybody else make stuff and then you can make the money, you know? Well, also,
2: if the community's paying something for free, like, it, it must be good.
0: Yeah. Also, they're really yeah.
2: good about, like, making their stuff very affordable and very
0: low Yeah, cost. well, that's because they just go after, um, you know, people who will pay for a hat in-game. <laughs> well, that's yeah. some buy, of their games. Who will buy digital goods.
1: But it's also, yeah. like, like, you... Everyone on PC owns these games, you know. Yeah. You can they can make their games cheap because literally everyone has them. Yeah. How much was uh, Half Life Alex? It was a full sixty when it came out, but it was on sale on the. Summer. Was it really? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. It's really the well, first AAA VR game. I mean, it deserved it. Are they AAA? Yes, Valve is AAA. This point, yes. So, all the
0: while, you know, they're making games, they're making money, but there's a whole other piece to the Valve story. They were making an effort to revolutionize the games industry outside of just the games themselves. You see, Valve was facing a problem with their multiplayer games like Counter-Strike. The issue was that there was no easy way to distribute a... The issue was, with a multiplayer game like Counter-Strike, you're constantly updating the game whenever you find some game-breaking bug, or you want to add a new map, or, you know, people are constantly making cheats, so you've got updates to your anti-cheat software. So you distribute patches. But the issue is, at this time, you know, this is the early 2000s, you would distribute a patch, but getting people to know that there was a patch like it was it was a manual process you couldn't just push it probably like sending emails and being like go to our website and download this patch or you'd log into the game and you couldn't get into the server and it would be like go download the patch and then you know you'd have to go google it or something you'd have to figure it out and you know i mean a lot of people i mean young kids play these games so figuring all that stuff out the first time it's not like today where everything's pretty simple like this is you know the early internet I mean, a personal story. You say kids, I, I spent like three
2: hours trying to get CS:GO to work the other day, and it turned out that I had to go download my latest like graphic driver. So I don't feel like it's just kids. Like, yeah, sometimes you just get confused.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. Cayman's playing CS:GO, which is a Valve game. Oh, it's very fun. I played it for the first time the other day. And me and Colin were playing Dota right before this, which is another Valve game. Yep. Like 30 minutes In studio, I guess. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that.
1: <laughs>
0: so anyway, Valve saw the potential for an online game platform where you could buy games, update your games, basically do everything that you would need to do right from that one platform. And they knew that it, the time was right because they did a survey and found that 75% of their customers had high-speed internet. You know, most people who are playing computer games care about their computers and are, you know, able to... Do these downloads even at this early right. stage of the internet? Yeah, they were nerds, exactly. Nerds, yeah. nerds have nerds splurge for internet, right? So Valve approached companies like Microsoft and Yahoo to partner with them on the platform. Everyone that they approached declined, so they started working on it themselves. And what they created was called Steam, and Steam would grow to become the largest digital distribution platform for PC gaming. Selling games from almost every studio that makes games for PC, and they're making gangbusters money doing this. I know I'm gonna make myself sound like an absolute idiot here. Are you the Steam and Valve thing? I've put a thousand
2: hours in on that platform, over a thousand hours in the games on Steam. I just realized
0: Steam Valve. Steam Steam. No. Comes <laughs> from Valve. no, I didn't think about it.
1: Yeah, Steam comes from a Valve. Yeah.
0: Well. Uh, they almost called it Gazelle.
1: <laughs> Those don't come
0: from valves. No, they don't. You're right. That would have been a bad name. And I'm really glad they did. I, I'm really glad they did call it Steve. Oh! Um, woo! Woo! Uh,
1: woo! He, said, he almost said it!
0: <laughs> oh. oh, shit. So anyway, back to them making Gangbusters money on Steam. In 2017, Steam had a revenue of $4.3 billion. Now, to be fair, most of that money ends up going back to the game publishers, but they get a significant cut of those sales, which is just practically free money. Like, yes, they have to keep the servers up for the downloads and stuff, but I mean, really, they just, they built it, people wanted it, and so yeah, they're just getting, they're raking in the money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and with that money, they're continuing to innovate in the world of hardware. They came out with a product called the Steam Link, which pioneered in-home streaming for PC games. They made a controller called the Steam Controller, which innovated touch pads on controllers or something. I don't know. It was fine. It's not great.
1: It's, I have an opinion on this controller, is it is a controller that you... It's the only controller that you can play games that were never intended to be played with a controller. You can play with that Steam controller, but if you're playing a game that was built for a controller, it is worse than any other alternative. But it really is a neat—it's yeah. a neat piece of hardware for sure. And I'm pretty sure it's been discontinued. Yes, both the Steam Link and the controller are discontinued.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, actually, all three of these things have been discontinued. That I'm—I've oh, got another one. So then they, as we alluded to. They also made the Steam boxes or the Steam machines. I, I, what name did they end up settling on for those? I uh, don't... There were only, like, five or six, so... Anyway. No, you could buy them, I thought. Um, I think what it was just... There were, like,
1: three it? Alienware versions, and maybe some other, HP had a couple of those. Okay, I thought you meant, like, three total. Like, no, 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 but no you no. meant three, like three different, different like designs. Okay.
2: Oh, are these those
0: things that are, like, just a box that plays games? They were, console, they were was, essentially like yeah. Steam consoles. They yeah. ran
1: Steam OS, which was a Linux distro that yeah. only ran Steam, basically. Or it was like big picture. It would launch into big picture. And that was a huge success, right? Well, the problem was they were pricey. But do you have more to say? Go ahead. I, I've
0: got a joke here. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, and they also made the Steam machine, which proved that the world wasn't ready for a PC-based gaming console.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> we're just not there right now. No.
2: Yeah, no, I'd... Well, why would I want that? Why, if if I want a console, I'm going to get a console. If I want a PC, I'm going to get on a PC. So okay. I, I, I'm only going to get on a PC unless it's like Switch games.
1: Well, it's a but nice like, idea. My
2: PC can play games and do graphic design. I never have to leave. I can get on the internet, look up I'm pictures pretty sure of we, naked ladies. We did
0: this exact conversation in the Sega episode. So I'm going to say let's skip over it. Did we? Yeah, because I said because we were talking about how personal computers were beating out consoles because they can do everything else. Like back back in the day with like the Amiga and stuff. Okay, But the hardware innovation that I really want to talk about is the work that they've done in the world of virtual reality. Valve has been pushing the boundaries of virtual reality through their work on the HTC Vive and more recently the Valve Index. And are in constant competition with their main competitor Oculus, which is owned by Facebook. But luckily for consumers, they are constantly one upping each other, which leads to both products being better. And uh, Colin owns a Steam VR headset.
1: Yeah, I have the Vibe, but I have the Steam controllers, so it's kind of, or the, the Index controllers, so it's kind of a hodgepodge setup on mine. And then, Michael, you have the Oculus, right?
0: I do, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I do have an Oculus I wish I had a Steam The problem is the uh the, the, the Steam stuff is just so expensive
1: It is
2: pricier Emily's been trying to convince me to buy one
0: Like the Index,
2: so she can play Beat Saber
1: But uh, mine uses lasers so Yeah, it does use lasers and Yours uses cameras cool. You brought
0: Facebook cameras into your house But the Inside Out technology is neat Anyway, let's move on um, and I just really briefly want to mention that Valve is also huge in the esports scene. Valve is responsible for two of the top five esports games as of 2019, those being Dota 2 and Counter Strike Global Offensive. Um, and this is important right now because while the NBA, the NFL, and the MLB are all on a hiatus, you know what's still running? Dota tournaments. Yes. And Colin and I aren't big sports people, but we are suckers for a Dota tournament. So suck it, sports people.
1: They've actually been stepping it up. There's like a new tournament every week because they all play from home. It's so easy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. nobody has to travel anywhere. And that brings us all back to Gabe Newell. Through his ownership of Valve, Gabe Newell is worth approximately $4 billion. And kind of to wrap all this up, I want to talk about what Gabe Newell represents to the community. He's kind of become like an Elon Musk figure in that he's not just the owner of his company, but the internet has turned him into the spokesperson, kind of against his will. Gabe is quoted as saying, quote, "...fans hug me when they run into me, and I'm not a hugging person, but that's what they want." End quote. (laughs) So he's kind of just accepted his status as Lord of the Nerds. Like, I would imagine he's probably a very uh, introverted person, but... He's yeah. kind of just accepted his new status. Um yeah. and he's taken numerous risks in his career. Like nothing that he's done has been a sure thing. But he's but always luckily, had enough money that if it goes bad he's like, yeah. Exactly. And he's yeah. failed. I mean, I mean the yeah. steam the steam machines were a failure. Um the steam control like I mean all those things we mentioned failed, but I'm sure there's other things that
2: failed that didn't even make it to production
0: that we don't know about. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is is they just came out with a documentary recently, because uh, they just released Half-Life Alex uh, within mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Um, but they talked—they they made a documentary about—basically, they just interviewed the people who made the game, and they said— we probably canceled eight games between the last one that we made and this one. Just, we we just do stuff. And like, there's yeah. a lot of cool stuff about the way that their like software teams work that I'm not going to bore you guys with. But like, basically they just say, go do something. Like, just make something and then let's see if it's viable. Which I think is a great way to run your company. Um, if you have the money for it.
1: Yeah. Quick tidbit, like all the employees at Valve, all their desks are on wheels. And... So you can roll like you roll your desk to different teams. Like there's no there's no like this is the Dota team. This is the team fortress team. You roll to whatever like wherever you think you're going to be the most useful. Yeah. And then uh, they actually have like a map setup where whenever you plug your internet cable in like you can go to a map and see where everybody is since nobody's like oh, wow where they are. Yeah. So there's like a map of valve and that's where their desks are. It's really cool.
2: That's very cool. Can I ask you a question Michael? Sure. What does Gabe Newell have against threes? <laughs>
0: uh, so the problem was that uh, he only spent three years at Harvard. Um, and every time that he hears the number three, it reminds him that he never finished. his degree. At Harvard. <laughs> that makes sense. So is there an actual reason, though?
1: No. That they never no, go to a third just, game? Uh, it's a meme at this point.
0: I think after two games, they just are done with that concept like they're so free-spirited that they're just like let's go make something new yeah because it's like it's i mean you have half-life there are two games before
2: alex but they don't they number alex so there's half-life one and two
0: exactly and they didn't have uh, there's episode one and two of there was
1: supposed to be a half-life episode three they announced it yeah and never released it half-life two episode three
0: uh
2: Portal got to 2, Team Fortress got to 2, Dota got to 2,
1: yeah, so, interesting. There's an announcer in Dota 2, an announcer pack, where it's Gabe Newell. He did one for last year, and when you get a triple kill, he'll say, he has a couple lines, but my favorite one is, you got more than two kills, but less than four. (laughs) He won't won't say three.
2: That's funny. (laughs) Uh, Man, I can't wait for Dota Artifact 2.
1: Earth. yeah michael's in the artifact 2.0 2. i'm in it? the beta yeah. is doubt- that really it really a thing yeah yeah they they're committed they're, they're to that idea it. they're committed to it, to make it work valve is uh, that's something else that i wanted to mention is when they screw up like they're they're first of all they own up to it and they most of the time like my for example michael and i have every valve game past present and future forever Because we bought the Steam controllers early, and they said that they would work on Max, and they didn't work on Max when they came out. So they were like, everybody who bought a Steam controller at this point has every Valve game forever. So we got Half-Life Alyx for free, we got Artifact for free.
0: But to be fair, how much money have you guys collectively spent on Dota? Lots. Uh, (laughs) Are we talking in the last two months, or are we talking like all time? It's
1: still hundreds in the last two months for me. Yep. I've probably spent a hundred in the last month. I'm, uh, I broke 5,000 hours last week of Dota 2. It's wild. Anyway, I have more things to say. Okay. Sorry. Okay.
0: Sorry. Interesting subject. Yeah. Valve's innovations have revolutionized the way that software is distributed and sold. And I don't just mean for games. I honestly believe that Steam seriously changed the way that we use the internet for the better. And to this day, Valve Software is leading the charge into tomorrow with their innovations in virtual reality, which I think we all really need right now because analog reality is just a big piece of shit. Yeah, it is. So I'm hoping that we can all live a digital life thanks to Gabe Newell. So thank you, Gabe Newell. I'm really glad you did. Can you imagine if you could go to the brewery in VR?
2: Oh my so god! Be, Sick. That'd you be
1: dope. You cannot drink beer with a VR headset on. It's bad. We need VR booze. I've tried. I've tried drinking.
0: We need Amazon drones to bring us booze, <sighs> and then we'll all just hang out in a virtual bar together.
1: But I'm saying drink like physically drinking with the headset on your oh, face. Yeah? It's not. Uh, I've never it's, tried not that. it's
0: not. It's yeah. not good. Not good. I can see that.
2: Well, good topic, Michael.
0: I like. Thank that Thank you
2: probably better Um, than yours yeah we'll see i like i
0: like mine a lot uh i like it a lot hey cayman what's your shitty topic (laughs) hey cayman so what did uh what did you bring to the table today so um actually i struggled a long time
2: figuring out how to start talking about this topic because i feel like typically things we have to talk about have like a beginning a middle an event and a legacy or like a beginning an event a middle a legacy you know something like that yeah. uh unfortunately the beginning of this story is kind of shrouded in mystery and there aren't a lot of hard details And the middle of it's kind of shrouded in mystery and there are not like a lot of hard facts and then etc 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 um so, what I'm talking about is a man named William Anyabor, or William Anyabor, however you pronounce it. I've been pronouncing it Anyabor for a long time. It might be Anyabor, um, regardless. Uh, so, I don't, or rather, we as a community don't know much about the actual life of Anyabor. And that is what makes this topic in part so fascinating. So before I start talking about what we do and don't know about William Anyabor, allow me to introduce him to you the same way that he was introduced to me a few years ago. So yeah, uh, what you're listening to, or what you just heard, is a track called "Fantastic Man,"
0: uh, of course by William Onyeabor. Hey Cayman. Yeah, that was so funky. I'm gonna have to clean my headphones after this, <laughs> dude. I, I
2: love it. I love it. So if you didn't, so if you didn't catch what he was talking about there, uh, he's talking to a significant other, and he's telling her like essentially, I've been telling you how great you are why don't you tell me like how I look? Like Tell me how I look. And she says, of course... I'm,
0: I'm going to be honest. I, I thought he was blind. Like I thought, I thought he said, tell me how you look. I, I, I thought the punchline of this was going to be like, he's a blind musician, and the song is about him trying to figure out no no he's
2: saying tell me how i look and then of course she replies with you look so good fantastic man so (laughs) dude i don't know i love that song i love that song and i'll get to that more later um but now you know we have our baseline you have a taste for william Anyabor's music uh so now i'm going to jump into a little bit of the backstory of who this person is and why i chose this as a topic now Anya Bohr was born to a poor family in Anugu, Nigeria in 1946, which at the time was a part of the colony and Protectorate of Nigeria under British colonial rule. Now I'm gonna hand
0: wave a lot of history here, which is really a damn shame. Uh, I feel like every time we talk about Brit like British history we're just like wait we-, we-, we gotta skip a lot of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> well that's the thing. It's, it's one of these days we're gonna have to actually cover it
2: right. it's, it's, it's a damn shame. I won't pass it all, like all the history, because I feel like that happens far too much with African countries. And Africa really does have a rich and vibrant history, like really awesome stuff, Um, which I would certainly love to cover one day. But like I said, I got to glaze over a lot of it for the sake of brevity. So the long skinny of it is that after World War II, there was a wave of independence in Africa which led to Nigeria gaining peaceful independence from their colonizers in 1960. Unfortunately, Nigeria was a country built by British conquest, which would become a big problem. And I have a few facts here to explain what I mean. Nigeria has more than 250 ethnic groups. While the spoken language is officially English, there are roughly 30 different widely spoken languages, with 500 total languages spoken in the country. It has both the fifth largest Muslim population in the world and the sixth largest Christian population in the world, which is still impressive despite the fact that it is the most populous country in Africa and the seventh most populous country in the world. And what all this means is that by 1967, just seven years after gaining independence, Nigeria was in a full-blown civil war. Now, Anyabor and his entire generation are just now, at this point, hitting their 20s. And their country is at war. And while we may not have knowledge of exactly what Anyabor was doing at this time, it couldn't have been peaches and cream to be a Nigerian at this point in time. Now, the last thing I'll say about Nigerian political history is that most of this fighting was really done by the early 70s. But I just wanted to bring that up to set, like, a background. So, back to Anyabor. Now, in the 70s, Anya Bohr apparently saved up enough money to leave Nigeria to study record printing in Europe with the hopes of coming back to Nigeria to open his own record factory. During this time, Anya Boor possibly receives a law degree and goes to either the USSR, America, or France to study film. Like I said, we don't have a lot of concrete facts. But you uh, know it was film. <laughs> we don't know where, but we know he studied film. Maybe he studied film. Maybe he studied film. Maybe he got a law degree. Like I said, a lot of this is hearsay. This is conjecture. Uh, And a lot of these things were like rumors from his hometown. So there's still some evidence to support them, which is why I bring them up. And I'll get into that as well. So somewhere in the mid-70s, Anyabor returns to Nigeria. And in 1977, he releases his first album, Crashes in Love. Now, the back cover of the album describes him as a French and American-trained professional filmmaker, and the record appears to be the soundtrack to a film of the same name about an African princess's love story. Now, this film, if it exists, is lost to the ages. Like, tons of people have looked for it. It has not been found. William Onyobord never confirmed if it existed.
0: But we're talking like the 80s by this point, right? No, this is uh this is 77 when the album comes out. Well, still late 70s. Like I mean, yeah, films got lost back in like the 30s. But like come on, late 70s this is a film in Nigeria. So, I mean, if it did exist. Wait, okay. So okay, so it's not like an American or French film.
2: No, he's back in Nigeria at this point. Okay. Yeah. So all this takes place in Nigeria. Okay. Now, Will Films Limited Studio, which, by the way, is the record label owned by Anya Bar. And also, Will Films is who prints records. They're like a big record factory and music producers. Um, and I say they, it's all Anya Bar. Uh, it has its logo on the cover of this album as well, along with some cinematic graphic elements i would say so like roles of film and things like that things that would very much make you think like oh this is a film company not a record company Um, but like i said if this was a film it's gone now anya now anya bohr's music as you heard is very unique and for the next eight years anya bohr goes on to make eight self-produced albums now, this isn't to say that Anya was alone in dishing out the records in Nigeria at this time. With the war winding down, there was a cultural explosion happening. Plenty of amazing bands were popping up in Nigeria, such as the Sea jeebs and the Funkies, playing a new style of music called Afrobeat, which is kind of a mix between traditional African beats and the funk music being popularized in the U.S. at this time. I think mostly like... James Brown. Think of like James Brown. Yeah, so that's... Kind of a mix between like African beats and the music, the funk music popular in the U.S. at this time, like James Brown. So you could say that William Anyabor was a part of this Afro beat movement, but it it wouldn't be fair to say that that's all that he was. See, Anyabor really stood out from the crowd because of his use of synths to create his own style of electronic music and his ability to work with multi-track recording in ways that only some of the best music producers in the world could do at the time. Now, these differences meant that Anyabor was making music in a way that no one in Africa was at this time. But it's not a stretch to say that he was making music in a way that no one in the world was making at this time. At best, you could compare him to Parliament or Funkadelic, whatever you want to call them, uh, which had released Mothership Connection, which is an amazing album, by the way, if you're getting into the funk genre. Uh, That came out in 1975. But if you go listen to, like, that style of, like, kind of getting into electronic funk compared to Anyabor right now, you'll you see that they're leagues apart in their style. They have a completely different feel to them. Also at this time when Anyabor was making music, synths weren't mainstream yet. Electronic equipment hadn't really come around, and it's because the equipment was expensive and it was difficult to learn how to use. It was damn near impossible to obtain in a country like Nigeria unless you brought it into the country yourself, which obviously he did. Now, Anya music at the beginning wasn't really getting out of his hometown in Enugu. But when he released his eighth album with the song, When the Going is Smooth and Good, he became a hit in Nigeria. And this was the absolute peak of his career and the moment when he was starting to gain true attention. And then the Fire Nation attacked. No, nah. so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So it was actually at this time that he had become a born again Christian. And stopped making music to pursue business interest in Anugu, including running his own flour mill. In fact, Anya found such success in his business ventures that just two years after giving up music in 1987, he was named West African Industrialist of the Year. And that was really it. The name Anya which was a flicker of pure unique creativity, would all but disappear. That was until the early 2010s, when a small record label out of New York called Luakabop set out to learn more about him and his music. Now, I'm not done with my story yet, but I want to go ahead and give credit where credit is due. Everything you have heard up to this point, the facts, can mostly be attributed to the work that Luekebop did to find out more about him. Unfortunately, they quickly found out that William Onyobor wasn't interested in talking about his music. To quote what he said when contacted by Luekebop the first time, I only want to speak about God. I don't want to go back to that time. And then he hung up. If that isn't anything new. See, even when Anya Bohr was creating music, he was a recluse. He didn't hang out with other people in the music scene, he didn't do live performances, and he wasn't very interested in talking to reporters. Now that that part of his life was over, it was obvious he wasn't interested in talking any more about it. Eventually, Luegge did get the permission to distribute his music and in 2013 released the album Who Is William Onyeabor, which was a compilation of Onyeabor's best music. The album ranked fourth on Time Magazine's top 10 albums of the year and inspired the formation of the supergroup Atomic Bomb Band, an Anyabor cover band, might I add, which toured in 2014 and consists of Alexis Taylor of Hot Chip, Pat Mahoney of LCD Sound System, Money Mark of the Beastie Boys, and special guests such as David Byron of The Talking Heads, Damon Albarn of Blur and the Gorillas, and Kelly Okareke of Block Party. Also in 2014, Noisy, which is an affiliate device such as Vice Magazine, Vice TV, all that stuff, released a short documentary entitled Fantastic Man about Anya Bohr and Noisy's attempt to track him down for an interview. Now you can watch this on YouTube in its entirety, and it served as a great source for me. In fact, one of my favorite lines uh, that I heard about Anya Bor is on the documentary when Damon Albarn, and this is Damon Albarn of Blur, I think more importantly of the Gorillas, because uh, the Gorillas is quite possibly, I don't think it's a stretch for me to say the second biggest electronic band of the past two decades, maybe aside from Daft Punk. So they're huge. But Damon Albarn said about Anya Bohr. This is the exact type of music I would love to be able to make. And that's coming from Damon Albarn. Like multiple hits, multiple successful bands, Damon Albarn uh, said that the music that William Onyobor makes is the music that he'd like to be able to make. Now, this is a Nigerian guy in the late 1970s, early 80s. He shouldn't have the resources to be able to make this, but he does. And it's incredible. Unfortunately, on January 16th, 2017, William Anyabor passed away in his sleep at his mansion in Enugu, where he had become a major figurehead in the community. He was a chief, an appointed justice of the peace, a successful businessman, president of Anugu's Musicians Association, and chairman of the city's local football team, the Anugu Rangers. It's been over 40 years since his music was originally released. And here's my I'm really glad you did moment. Because I love his music. I love all of it. I listen to it so frequently. It's fantastic. Anya Bohr was so unique and creative and his music shows it. Even the song we played earlier that was about him asking his significant other to tell him how he looks is such a different perspective and such a genuine way to approach a love song. I think it's apparent that he didn't make this music for notoriety and he didn't let it define him. And the thought that this Nigerian man made music to that I, to this day, as an American 50 years his junior, enjoy so much is remarkable. On talking about his music, Anya Bor stated, I'm only proud of my music because of the creative aspect of it. I didn't use it strictly to praise God. That's why I've decided now that henceforth all my revealings will be praise God and preach the word of God. Even though I am not an overtly religious person, I can respect that level of devotion. So regardless, listeners, go check out his music. It's absolutely great. It's been a major influence in my life. It's something that makes me happy. I enjoy it very much. It's my I'm really glad you did. And if you like what you hear, go support the label Louie Kabop. Like I said, they're the ones that dug up a lot of this information that I was able to find. And they do a great job of bringing great music from other countries into the spotlight. So they have all sorts of other awesome artists that you can go check out. I actually bought an Anya Bor t-shirt from them the other day because I was writing about this episode and I was like, I should really support them. Uh, so I can't wait for that to get in. Also, they of course told us that we could use Anya Bor's music for this episode. So super huge thanks to them for everything that they do and for letting us use that. And that is my topic. That's my, I'm really glad you did.
0: Funky.
1: Oh, that's cool. That was a cool topic, I'm glad that you brought that Alright, all right. so what's now? Um, now, listener mail Listener mail um, We are reading all of them out loud and we're going to discuss all of them out loud and you're not going to hear all of them because the ones that suck we're going to cut Okay? Yeah.
0: Yep, so if you don't hear yours you should feel bad Feel bad about yourself You, sucked. you should write if us another email like... about how we didn't read your email That's right,
1: because we're reading yeah. all of them
0: so we address all emails but a lot
2: of them we address address internally.
0: Yes. And
2: yes. we swallow them at night. That's right. Like our emotions.
0: Well, that's not all came and swallows at night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, first the other up thing is semen.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Oreos cuz I'm a fat fuck and I can't stop having cookies before bed.
1: Listen, if you don't eat an entire sleeve of Oreos before you go to bed, you're not doing it right.
2: <laughs> You're not living your life to the fullest.
1: Okay. First email. Okay. First email. First email. It's from mm-hmm. Bobson Dugnut. And he says,
0: That's not a real name.
1: Well, it's not a real name. I know who it is. It's not a real name. <laughs> okay. I want to, oh, sorry. Uh, and normally we only.
0: Bobson Dugnut is a pseudonym.
1: Yes. Normally we only say first name, but we know this is a fake name. So I'm going to say the whole name. And that, that'll go for the whole thing. Anyway, I wanted to answer a few questions about vampires. Michael and Cayman asked in Sega Part 1. Vampires want young women's blood because virgin blood tastes the best. This is why, in reality, vampires love gamers. Also, also, no, 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 we're not done. Also, vampires have blood. However, being undead, they do not have a heartbeat.
0: Okay. I want to address something. Go ahead. Listener emails canceled. Actually, I want to address a couple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No more listener emails. We're canceling, we're canceling everything. It. That was okay. <laughs> Awful. But, but what, he, what Bobson said was, I want to address why they love young women's blood. It's because they love virgins and they love gamers. Like they're subverting the thing by being like, oh, yeah, gamers are virgins. But like he never addresses why it's young women's blood. Like young women don't have to be virgins. It's 2020. Well, it depends how young they are. I think you? that what he's saying is in
2: reference to Night Trap, and it I, is. No, that's I'm not right. sure what he's how talking young about.
0: I'd consider that woman like she's not old. No, she was like 23 or something when they filmed that. Right. But
1: why does it have to be women? But why does it have to be women? It doesn't Colin? have to be it's women. It's 2020. Night Trap could have been gamers. It he said been women with gamers. He said, he said, gamers. said women. He also said no, gamers.
0: But he said that's why they like young women. He shouldn't have right. said young people.
1: You're right. This guy is a misogynist.
0: Bobson Dugnut, bad job. Bad, bad Bobson Dugnut. Bobson Dugnut is canceled. He's canceled. All (laughs) right, so the next
1: email is from Bobson Dugnut. Oh! (laughs) Oh. And he says, faithful listener Bobson Dugnut here again. (laughs) Loved the Nixon episode. I just wanted to comment that whoever said Nixon doesn't drink should have verified that there are official records of Nixon drunkenly attempting to nuke North Korea on multiple occasions. Dude was fucking insane and a drunk. And then a link to a business insider article called drunk, Richard Nixon, nuke North Korea, 2017 one love the episode. Fuck Nixon. Why okay. was
0: Business Insider writing about Nixon in 2017? That's one. It's not a confirmed fact. You can read the article. It's not confirmed fact.
2: Two. I was very wrong about Nixon not drinking. I accept that. I take full responsibility. Dude, definitely drank. I thought that like um, Quakers. I, th- I, th- <laughs> I thought that Quakers couldn't drink. Uh, they
0: can. I don't. I don't know why I thought that. They're- I thought that too. I thought they just had to eat oatmeal. Only yeah. oatmeal. Yeah. Exclusively oatmeal. Oatmeal's shit.
2: I hate oatmeal.
1: Okay. You the can next... make it
2: good with enough hot sauce.
0: What? Okay, no, move on. Oh no, wait, I'm we're thinking not. of grits. we not going to acknowledge this. Grits. Grits. Hot sauce. Okay. Uh, shout out to Dave Novak. Uh, you got your list of uh, you got your list of things that I wouldn't do last week. That's right. Thanks a lot to Dave Novak.
1: Thanks. Whoa, Dave. Dave Thanks, Novak. Dave. So this next one is. Uh, an email from Caleb, and it says the subject is Nixon impersonations, and it says I gave it my best shot. Oh, finally, an
2: email from someone who isn't one of our friends.
1: Oh, what? No, this is this is one of our friends. No, he's not. Okay, <laughs>
2: all right, he's not my friend.
1: Okay, and here and here here the my fellow Earthicans, we enjoy so much freedom. It's almost sickening. Good. That was number one. And then he sent us a second one as well. Nixon always wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's
1: it's
2: it's not as bad as I expected it to be. It's actually pretty good.
1: It's not so bad. It I sounds a lot like it. Futurama Nixon. It's yeah, well it's really good. I know that's what it's based off.
2: Not far off from normal Nixon. Impersonation of an impersonation. <laughs>
0: Great idea, Cayman. Yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah, I stole it. It's an me. impersonation of an impersonation.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: It's good though.
1: Next Didn't email complain. is from our old friend Bobson Dugnut. Oh my mm. god! And this is what Bobson has to say this time. He says two comments. This is in relation to the uh, the fast food controversies episode that we did.
0: Mm-hmm. He says right.
1: two comments. Number one, Chick Fil A has the best fries. And then number two, I feel personally attacked when Michael said going through the drive through. Then parking and eating is sad, and then a frowny face.
2: Chick-fil-A's or Chick-fil-A fries are only good for scooping sauce. Eating nope. them plain is way worse.
1: Chick, no, I eat them plain regularly. They're definitely better.
0: I I eat a lot of. Pla- Here's the thing: is I I, like I drive a lot, and so whenever I'm driving, I always stop at Chick-fil-A. I'll get fries and a sandwich, and you can't do sauce while you're driving. I'll eat I'll eat plain Chick-fil-A fries. They're good.
1: Those fries are also easier to eat in the car because they're like a big piece. There's less. Yeah, yeah. there's less of them. Don't like OK, them.
0: but I would say, Bobson, find help, my dude. You do not want to. OK, it's OK in covid times because like, yeah, right. You can't go inside. Sure. But if you're if you're getting food in the drive through parking and eating it in your car, you need to talk to somebody. All right.
1: There's fine. gotta help. be some help. Help is out there. Our next email is from Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we need other people to email us. We're never reading okay. a
2: Bobson Dugnut email again.
1: <laughs> but we're reading this one, and then if the next one's him, <laughs> okay. we're reading that one too. Okay, Bobson Dugnut, Ronald, Grimace, and the Hamburglar are the only McDonald's characters I know. Also, Jack in the Box, more like Ass in a Box. That shit tastes like shit. I don't disagree with either of those. Well we haven't had Jack in the Box, so we can't have an opinion on that. No one none of us have eaten it. Cayman
0: did say he was gonna have a Jack in the Box review ready for this episode. <clears throat> well,
2: I I said that and then I found out that the Jack in the Box that was in my hometown has actually been out of business for what looks like a while considering the buildings like falling apart. Mm. Also after I said that everyone was like, Please don't. So <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's really rough. If I didn't have to drive like two hours to get to one, I would consider it. But I'm not driving two hours for something that everyone tells me is going to make me poop my pants. Because I'm just going to eat it. I'm going to poop my pants on the way back home. If it was 10 minutes down the road, then I could go get it, eat it, poop at at home and not poop my pants.
0: Anyway.
1: All right. Next email is from Jack in the box. Jack Mm. is delicious at (laughs) dot com. You should all try Jack in the Box. It's delicious.
2: I don't think that's Jack.
1: That's that's what they said. Oh, sorry. Uh, it it uh, also it also says yes. Please address my comment anonymously. So I'm so, I did not do that. Can you read that. me the last part Jack of that email again? Yeah, it's jackisdelicious at <laughs> .dot com.
2: Oh yeah, that sounds legit.
1: <laughs> Nito. <laughs> Next email. Next email is from Holden McCox and it's very, uh that's a good real. one if yeah. you're
2: going to use a fake name that's a good one that's a really good one i appreciate that. that it's not a fake name
1: anyway uh and this is titled body surface burn and it says when a burn pt comes this is what we usually use to quickly determine surface area burn the surface area then determines the rehydration the patient will need of course they will determine a more accurate number once ones moved to a burn unit and then it is a soft core porn image of a woman where um, each basically each body section is divided into nine percent. They call it the rule of nines. He sent us another email that said, uh, "If you were to look it up, it's obviously we call it the rule something of nines. from
2: an anatomy textbook. Right? But it's, it's soft not core soft porn. Porn, There, no.
1: there is an arrow pointing to the vagina. The breasts are there. The buttholes there." It's softball porn, okay? <laughs> is the butthole there? Well, or is sorry, it just the butt? It's cheeks. There's cheeks and like There's cheeks. Okay, there's that's very different than a butthole being there.
0: Big
2: difference between cheeks and butthole.
1: Sorry, there's no butthole. I'm so sorry. There's no butthole. It's also labeled genitalia 1%. There's a big yellow circle. Anyway.
0: Okay, so, so, but but the idea is that, you know, depending on what parts of the body are burned, that's right. that's the percentage of the body.
1: And it's called the rule of nines.
0: Are they saying that your genitalia is 1% of your body?
1: That's what they're saying. And it it has a yellow circle pointing to the front and to the back.
0: (laughs) Now, do they take take size into account? Like if Cayman got burned somewhere in the groin area? It would be
1: like a half a percent? (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Everybody beats you. It was too easy of a joke. joke. I saw it coming, Michael. (laughs) Okay, I came up with that joke in the shower two days ago. I've been waiting until now. Two days ago. Everyone that heard it immediately thought of it. <laughs> as soon as you started So talking. you did not come up with it. No. <laughs> you wouldn't have. Cut. We we did this already and you didn't come up with it. You're right. Okay. I don't think we did this already. You can't
2: prove it. Bring me your recording.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I've got one more thing. Yeah, so the the, the official name is the Wallace Rule of Nines and it's named after its its creator, Alexander Burns Wallace.
1: Oh, yeah. His mom's Burns. Yeah, that's dope. I also want to throw in that the next time we recorded after that episode, um, Cayman's fiance, Emily, was like behind him. And she said, By the way, the way that we do Burns is Rule of Nines. So it's like, you know, we got from multiple sources the nurses out there.
0: Yeah, everyone was really mad at us for not knowing about the Rule of Nines, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, we told her that we wouldn't use that.
2: So I'll allow it this time, but in the future, if she has any comments, she emails us like everyone else. She's not special <laughs> just because she's marrying me. Well,
1: I didn't use the audio clip, if that makes you feel better. That's better. We've got it somewhere, I'm sure. Emily,
2: if you're listening to this in the future, one, I love you. Two, d- send us an
1: email, <laughs> idiot. Podcast, and I really wish you hadn't dot com.
2: It's so easy. You can use my computer to send it.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: You know what's weird? There's two different scales of the rule of nines. One for adults and one for children. For adults, the entire head is nine percent of your body. For children, the entire head is eighteen percent of your body. They're saying kids' heads are double the size of adults. Dude, like, kids have huge heads. They have fucking really. Huge Last heads. time you saw yes. a kid, yeah, babies so, have I don't heads know massive heads. Babies, yeah. but this is talking children. Children, children, children. also, like big an heads. eight-year-old isn't walking around with a head twice the size yes, of his they shoulders. Are. They're oh big God. hats. I need to pay attention to children.
2: Yeah, I, my head's been this size since I was like five. And should you not be? I know because my hat size hasn't changed.
1: There's sizes of hats since I was
2: five years old. Yeah, we're an adult XL my entire life. You didn't know there's sizes of hats. I also didn't know there were sizes of hats. I just buy a hat. Well, like baseball hats, like the ones that you get. Like
1: I, I don't. Also, don't wear hats. If I wear a hat, my hair's fucked the rest of the day. So I don't really wear hats. Oh, I'm calling. It's such a burden to have fucking hair. Oh, I have hair. <laughs> okay, Baldy. Oh. Next email. <laughs> okay, and I believe there's, there's one more email, Michael, that I didn't get for some reason, and you got yeah. it.
0: Yep. This one comes from T. I, I don't know if we're allowed to use their name or not, so I'm just going to say T. Pretty sure I'm y'all's biggest fan. Just wanted to say I love the I'm Really Glad You Did episode, and I think you should consider doing more. You're welcome, T. We did this for you. Also, if my vote counts for anything, Michael's story won. Now, that's in reference to my Ben and Jerry story, which was much better than Cayman's Volkswagen Beetle story. T, I think you're absolutely right, and congratulations on having a good taste in podcasts.
1: T, we would love to hear whose story you think won. This week, send us an email.
2: I mean, it's probably going to be wrong, anyways. But <laughs> okay, we'll see. I'm kidding, T. Please keep listening to us. I love you. I don't know who you are, but thanks. I love you.
0: All right, keep keep
1: keep having good opinions, T. And that's uh <laughs> that's all the listener emails, at least that I have. All right, all so right. Let's...
0: Uh, quick fact checks.
2: Yeah, sure. Those that we have. The ones that other people didn't catch,
0: or or, our notes. Quick thing about quid pro quo uh, from our Nixon episode. (laughs) I love this one. Yes, I know that quid pro quo is a Latin term that was invented. (laughs) Well, give them the context. Long, long, (laughs) people may have forgotten what you said. Long, long time ago. Okay, I know that. People may have forgotten what you said. What I said was, we're talking about quid pro quo which is very, uh, okay, no, here, here's, I wrote down exactly what I said. I've got, no, 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 right. Go I've ahead, got okay. exactly what okay. I said because I wrote it down. I went back and listened to the episode because I've been getting a bunch of shit, all right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But what I said, here's what I said, is I said, it's a modern contention point and I said, it's so weird because of modern terms. What I, I didn't mean that quid pro quo was a modern term, I meant term as in a condition, <laughs> right? Right. Like, it's weird because of modern conditions. If you're unable to understand that words have two different meanings, I'm sorry, okay? I'm clarifying it now. Michael's never heard of flatten. I did not mean that quid pro quo was a modern turn. Michael's never heard of flatten. Uh, We watched Scoob. Yeah, it was okay. It's the most aggressively average movie I've ever seen. Like I have nothing good to say about it and I have nothing bad to say about it. It's yeah. it sure is a movie. It was like I really wanted it to be like amazing or horrible so that there would be something to say. But it's it's the worst thing because it's just it's it it's well, just fine.
2: It, it wasn't one of those kids' movies that, like, adults can enjoy, I think. Like, it wasn't one that, like, had, like, a bunch of references for adults. Maybe it did, it had but a couple. they weren't that impressive. Like, Hong
0: Kong Phooey, well was, like, a, a poster at one point, and I was like, oh, wait, I know what that is, because, like, I know Hanna-Barbera. But, like, other than that, I mean, there was a couple, like, gags, but... Yeah, but that's, like, that's, like, the animators putting that in. That's not even, like, yeah.
2: the writing I'm saying, yeah. as far as writing wise, so
0: you can skip it. It was yeah. fine. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, again, it's not gonna it's not gonna ruin your life if you watch it, but it's not gonna you know do anything for you. Any. It's a way to spend an afternoon. It sure is, especially if you got kids. Like, there's worse things you could watch. Yeah. Um, Billy Joe Armstrong isn't dead. Mm. We said in our converse episode. Not even slightly. No. He's very much alive. We gave a list of people. Um, it was Billy Joe Armstrong, Sid Vicious. Janis Joplin.
2: Sid Vicious is very... We said Sid Vicious was alive. Was Janis Joplin one of them? Yeah, Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain.
0: And Kurt Cobain was definitely one of them, yeah. yeah. So, And we were like, how many of those people are still alive? And we, we didn't mention Billy Joe Armstrong. We said Sid Vicious was alive. You Yeah, you said Sid Vicious was still alive. I thought Billy Joe Armstrong, I got them him confused with Louis Armstrong in my mind. Oh, yeah. So. Very different.
1: Very, very different. different
0: people. But the thing is, Converse has been around long enough that Louis Armstrong could have rocked a pair of Converse's. So, you, know, oh, yeah. you never know. Easily. So, yeah. Yeah. Congrats, Billy Joe Armstrong, on still being alive. And we should mention, Billy Joe Armstrong is the lead singer of Green Day. Yeah, Dookie um, was pretty good. It was a good album. I haven't been that crazy about the rest of it dookie's good american idiot's good american idiot you're i mean we've had this conversation you were very wrong about american idiot i it think is dookie's the reason better that they are remembered dookie might be better but like if you're gonna talk about green day albums like american idiot is the green day album i'll concede that
2: i'll concede that
0: you see a lot more people in like
2: american idiot shirts
1: if you were to go up to someone randomly on the street and say name a green day song it's going to be American Idiot almost every Boulevard time. Or Boulevard
0: of Broken Dreams or Holiday, which all were, of which yeah, are from all that all on that
1: album, but most of the time it's American Idiot. Wake but, Me Up yeah. When September Ends is also on that album. And there you go. I hope you have the time of your life. That's on, Is that on that album?
0: I think it might uh, be. I think that's, is it on that album?
2: Yeah, it's not Dookie. Okay. And I imagine that I haven't heard a song that's not on American Idiot or Dookie. Or not one
0: that I wanted to remember. No, that one's on Nimrod oh wow. yeah i didn't think that was on the only thing the only two songs dookie has on it is basket case which is a great song and when i come around which is eh. when, when i come, I come around. around see when People i come around like you only my know favorite. that part name literally a verse from when i come around
1: knew <laughs> i really like pearl jam
0: and i couldn't tell you any of their
2: lyrics so that's not a good argument
1: Pearl Drum, oh yeah. <laughs> Feeling whenever I'm on the concrete. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, you we love that all said concrete. <laughs> we <laughs>
0: all yeah. knew that
1: was the word. Concrete. That's good yeah. enough.
2: Oh, Eddie Vedder is a
0: national treasure. <laughs> oh, Okay. <sighs> so. Other than that, uh, we didn't mention that Alec Baldwin starred in a movie called Framing John DeLorean in our DeLorean episode. Like, it came out, like, in 2019. We probably should have watched it. Uh, neither one of us did. It's, a, it's on Hulu, I'm pretty sure. I saw it in my it's...
2: research. I just assumed that it wouldn't be that good. Like, yeah, I didn't even notice
0: that Alec Baldwin was in it. Oh, yeah, he's John DeLorean. Really? Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. is yep. John DeLorean. Yeah, it's actually pretty convincing. You can look it up. Huh? Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Oh, that's all we have?
2: Oh, well, uh, kicking it back to Hanna-Barbera, we kind of closed over this. Uh, we did buy some of the DC Hanna-Barbera crossover comics. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I really enjoyed mine. I got the Chronicles of Snagglebus, which was about... Uh, Essentially, Snagglepuss is a gay playwright during the McCarthyism era, and you know he's set up as being a communist, and like his friends are taken down for being communist, and they blackmail them with being gay, and it it's actually very good. It's very interesting. It was
0: a fun read. Um, Michael, how do you like yours? Mine sucked. Mine sucked really bad. I got the uh, Scooby Apocalypse, uh, which was basically. Scooby-Doo gang, if uh, the the apocalypse was going on, basically like Velma's like a scientist, and Daphne and Fred are like independent journalists, and Shaggy's a stoner, stoner (laughs) hipster. Okay, so they didn't change Shaggy. Yeah, and well, except now he's got like a handlebar mustache, like he's a modern day like hipster. Um, and then Scooby's a genetic, uh experiment done by Velma to like make dogs smart it's really bad and then like her lab creates a bunch of monsters but it's like a nanotech that's spreading so like the whole world is turning into monsters and they don't like solve the mystery by pulling the masks off they just like take shotguns and like just blow people's heads off it's like aggressively grim for no real reason and like the the mystery machine is like a tank it's it's bad don't don't just don't bother. It wasn't good. I also only read the first issue and at the end there's like the twist that um scrappy is like coming after him and he's like a half man half dog like beast. It's it's bad. Just I don't think read I think I have
2: one good idea that can make it work. If we okay. brought it to TV or I guess figure on this like bring it to TV, make mm-hmm. it a cartoon and we all know like the best The best Scooby-Doo cartoons have special guests. Mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves as John Wick. (laughs) Perfect. In the Scooby-Doo universe, I would love it.
0: I'd watch it. I would love it. I would would 100% watch it.
2: I'm about it. I'll watch any John Wick. It's not good. It's entertaining. It's edutainment.
1: Mm. (laughs) I don't know if you know what edutainment is. You we're our, We are not edutainment. We are edutainment. We
2: teach people things, and it's it's entertaining. Eh,
1: is it entertaining?
2: Well, that's is it educational? Beauty's I mean, in the eye of the good beholder.
1: Question: We're just kind of you're there. certainly
2: learning things. Are those yeah. things correct? Not well, all the maybe. time, which is why no, we have housekeeping episodes. Yeah, we're not per se
0: journalists. I'm pretty sure you you called yourself an investigative journalist in one of shut our episodes. Shut
1: up, shut your. Sh- Didn't you call mouth. yourself a like a scholar, a peer-reviewed historian? A historian, uh, a historian, I'm a
0: historian. Oh, was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're certainly closer than we were before we
2: started doing the podcast.
0: Cayman, you know what? I just realized you're more afraid of Jack in the Box than you were of burning your crotch off. Huh? Because you got the really hot coffee. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, but he didn't spill it. He could have. I mean, it was a risk he took. Wow. Well, if I eat Jack in the Box and I get stupid
2: sick, they probably don't have the capital to pay me. If I drop McCoffee on my lap yeah. and burn off my ding-dong, I you know, might not I have a ding-dong, but I'm going to be uh, loaded.
1: Listen, Cayman, the, the ding dong's only 1%. For you, maybe half. So, I mean, <laughs> you don't want to burn the ding-dong. <sighs> we got him again.
0: Got him again. All right, Cayman, <laughs> right, you want to tell the people where they can find us? Yes, I do want to tell the people where they can find us.
2: So, guys, thanks for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at irwyh podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't. And if you have any more questions, comments, and your name isn't Bob's and Dugnut, you can email us at. Podcast at I Really Wish you or at podcast at I'm Really Glad You Did.com. Until
0: next time, it's been a blast. I'm Really Glad You Did is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Kevin McNahan. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro music by tag Story. Outro music is by William Onyabor. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, don't burn off your ding dong. It's 1% of your body. Or half for Cayman. (laughs) And as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do.